As mentioned, one of the greatest truths that centers around the doctrine of salvation is eternal security. And uh, verses 28 to 29 in John chapter 10, Jesus makes it very clear that no man is able to pluck us out of his hand. No man. We're safe and secure in the hand of God. And being safe and secure in the hand of God, uh, we looked at four, uh, three different things. We'll look at the fourth one tonight. But the first one, just uh, in the way of <clears throat> being refreshed and, and, and in the way of remembrance, the first truth we found that we are safe and secure in the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And so our security and our salvation is because of the Savior who has loved us and gave himself for us. Second of all, it's found in the power of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 18, he says, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. He's talking about his life. And so our security, our safety and our salvation is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have security because we have a Savior who has conquered death. Number three, our uh, safety and security of our salvation is found in the promises of, of Jesus Christ. Verse 28 says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so we have security and safety because we have a Savior who keeps to his word. And so tonight I would like to look at the fourth point found in verse 28, the end thereof, and being safe and secure in the hand of God because we have a Savior, listen, who will never let us go. Once he has us in his hand. Never. And it says it very clearly. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so in verse 28 we find a triple comfort of assurance of our salvation. The first part in verse 28 says I give unto them eternal life. The second part he says they shall never perish. The third part neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so no man is able to pluck <coughs> us out of the hand of our saviour. And the word plucky is the same word used in 1 Thessalonians 4, where we find the word catching away, where people talk about the rapture. <coughs> it's the same word being used here. No man is able to pluck or catch or snatch us out of the hand of the Lord. And the reason why the Lord uses the word pluck is because when thieves come to steal the sheep or where wolves uh, come to approach the sheep, they come to pluck them out or catch them uh, or snatch them out of the fold. That's the whole intent. Therefore, no man is able to pluck, catch or snatch the sheep from the hand of the good shepherd. No man, not even the devil himself. Once we are in the fold, we are safe and secure, listen, under the protection and the hand of the Lord, the good shepherd. And so the word plucked is used also as catch in verse 12. Look at verse 12. Of John chapter 10, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf, what's that word there? Catcheth them. That's the same word as plucked. And scattereth the sheep. And so our Savior, our shepherd, is not a hiring. In other words, he's not a hireling. He's not, he's not just looking after. Uh, someone else's sheep or a stranger's sheep. No, we as believers, as his sheep, belong to him. We're his. And so he's protective over us. We belong to him. He watches over us. He, he, he makes sure we're safe and secure in the shepherd's hand. 
And so our good shepherd will never leave us nor forsake us. Look at even in our darkest moments, even when we are prone to wonder, even when we let the Lord down. I want to use Peter as an example. If you go to Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles, please. Luke chapter 22. And uh, look at verses 31 of Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> Luke 22, look at verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now in verse 31, Jesus discloses the desire and the intent of Satan. You know, Satan has his eye on all those, by the way, that, ex that express their faith in Christ and love the Lord. Uh, he stalks them. He's on their tail, if you will. He doesn't leave them alone. He wants to tempt them away from following Christ. He says to Peter, Satan has a desire to have you, Peter. To have you simply means that Satan would like to, if we're going to use it in this context, and I think we won't do any damage to the scriptures, he wants to snatch you. He wants to catch you. He wants to pluck you out, if you will, and uh, uh, away from following the Lord, out of the will of God, by tempting you to deny the Lord. And I believe this is the context. Uh, and we'll see it in a moment. How does Satan seek after Peter? He wants to sift him as wheat. All right, to sift means to shake or uh, riddle like you would with wheat. You know, when you have, when you're sifting wheat, you have this strainer, right, that you go back and forth, back and forth, and you hope that the wind will catch the chaff and the and the wheat will remain. And so that way, uh, uh, you can actually separate the two. And what he wanted to do, Satan wanted to uh, shake, if you will. He wanted to rattle the faith of Peter and so that he could, there would be nothing left of him. Nothing left in following the Lord. Nothing left. That he would be so discouraged to, to no end that he, he would just simply uh, you know, retract those words that he would, he would say regarding to the, uh, the, uh, the Lord. Jesus knew, by the way, that Satan would use the weakness of Peter to get at him. He knew it. And so context, again, helps us come to that conclusion. Look at verse 33. And he said unto him, uh, and that's Peter, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and where? To death. You know what Peter's simply saying here? He's not just saying, I'm, I want to follow you. You know, I'm going to identify myself with you. I want to, walk, I want to go where you want to go. Look, I'm, I'm willing to go to prison with you. Listen, I'm even willing to die for you. And we know what happened. Peter didn't even follow the Lord, nor identify himself with the Lord. When push comes to shove, you know, he didn't even uh, you know, testify that he knew the Lord, let alone die for the Lord. And so it could be that the devil tempted Peter to say, look, say you don't know him, say you don't know him, say you don't know him, to deny him. You know, Peter's weakness was that no doubt he did deny Christ. Imagine that, having that on, on your testimony. That one, one, you know, we talked... We talk about it, even till now, that he denied Christ. And why did he deny him? Well, lack of courage, boldness, strength, the ability to keep to his word. I believe the desire was there, there was no doubt. We know and understand that he had a desire and love for the Lord. Uh, he, he reaffirms that at the Sea of Tiberias. Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And, and, and Jesus did know that Peter loved him. He did. He, he knew he was a believer. He knew he wanted to follow the Lord. He was authentic. There's, no, there's nothing uh, that we can ever doubt that you know, Peter was ever a Judas. No. We would see that Peter was the real deal. But here, 
we find that he was shaken. His faith was rattled. And uh, verse 34, Peter uh, is told by Jesus that he will deny him three times. And look at the last part of verse 34, that thou knowest me. You're going you're gonna to deny me to the point that you ever knew me. That's crazy. That's, I mean, when you, when you think about it, this is what happened. You come to the point where you realize that Peter was saying to people that I don't even know the Lord. Can you even, can you even think about you saying that to someone? People would say, you're a Christian. You say, no, I'm not a Christian. Do you know the Lord? No, I don't know the Lord. Imagine right now, a terrorist got a hold of you and said, do you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? Say, oh, I'm, not. I'm not a Christian. Can you imagine doing that? Well, yeah, this was what this is the very thing that was taking place with Peter. And after Peter denied Christ three times by remembering the words of the Lord, he, he was crushed. I want you to see it, if you will. Uh, look at verse 54. 62, is it? No, we, we, we're a bit ahead. We're ahead there. Now, have a look at verse 54. Then took they him, look at verse 54 please, yeah 54, then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and look at this, and Peter followed afar off, and when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, and were set down together, Peter sat down among them, but a certain maid beheld him. As he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying of truth, This fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. You know what he's saying? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? Look, you, 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 what Peter was doing is lying through his teeth here. Not only denying the Lord, but lying that he ever knew the Lord. Lying that he ever knew the Lord. And we know and understand how the, what, what the Lord feels, how the Lord feels about lying. But Peter was smitten by this fear that would have come upon him his faith was being tested and at the same time rattled it wasn't he was uh, you know you look at peter's life he was he was a man that would, would no doubt fear the lord but at that moment when he was being tested you know he would say things that weren't wouldn't even wouldn't even be his character if you will that you know it was just something that he failed he failed and uh, in verse 59, and about the space of one hour after, uh, sorry, verse 60, and Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while yet he spake, the cock crew. And the Lord, look at this, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept what? Bitterly. You know that word bitterly means violently. To the extreme grief. To the point where perhaps his heart was aching. Have you, ever, have you ever wept like that before in your life? Where your heart is aching. 
aching. And that's how we know that, that Peter cared. That's what, you know, Peter loved the Lord. He cared. He cared about how the Lord, uh, you, know, uh, you know, viewed him. And, 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 and he wanted to be faithful to the Lord. You know, it was almost like he was in disbelief. He couldn't even believe what he's done. And so it also communicates to us that the Lord cared about Peter. I mean, think about it. He, he Jesus is getting captured. He already foreknows his sufferings and his crucifixion. And he takes time that during this time that he's abandoned, being manhandled, that he glimpses to see where Peter is. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a good shepherd. Isn't it? Oh, that's a good shepherd. That's a, that's a good shepherd if I ever saw one. They all leave him and Jesus, if he can, is still trying to see where he's at. And get him eye to eye. To remind him. But also to know. Hey. I don't know, man, but that look crushed him. That look from the good shepherd would have just bring him to his knees. Despite Satan's sifting of Peter, Jesus had prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. Look at verse 32. He says, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And so the Lord prayed that Peter's faith would not fail or cease because of his discouragement. And this prayer is a prayer of protection over a believer. Let me say this to you. No true believer will ever be able to... to, to to enter into the realm of being an apostate. I'm going to say that again. No true believer will ever apostate. Never. Matthew Henry said, Though there may be many failings in the faith of true believers, yet there shall not be a total and final failure of their faith. It is their seed, their root remaining in them. And so remember, it was the faith of Peter that was being shaken. It would be a daunting reality to deny that we ever knew the Lord. I mean, think about it. How would you feel? You'd feel like a hypocrite. You'd feel that you've let the Lord down. You know, but the Lord would not let him go. You know, Jesus was Peter's great shepherd or good shepherd. He prayed for his restoration. He says, and when thou converted. You know, that word converted means to turn around. Peter was a believer already. He, he loved the Lord, we know that. But Peter's discouragement caused him to go in the wrong direction. From, from, from that time when he denied Christ three times, he, he, he was ready to just pack it up. And, 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 and we know and understand, he was re- after, after he was received the, whole, the, the Great Commission, where did Peter go? Well, the Bible says he went fishing. Yeah. And, uh, and a whole heap of people followed him. Now, whether he went fishing to get some food or whether he went fishing to, to, to go back to his livelihood, we're not certain. But it, I, I would say I'd hold to the second only because, man, he just got that boat ready. He got the nets ready, remember? And, uh, and, and it was like when the, first, when the first time Jesus met them, he met them mending their nets. And now Jesus is just seeing Peter just going back, being a fisher of fish. Forgetting about how Jesus said to Peter, I'll make you a fisher of man. And both not only the prayer of the Lord, but now the presence of God in his life would bring him back. You know, the Lord personally encouraged Peter before his ascension. 
Peter needed no doubt that reassurance and that God was still had a purpose for him. I want you to see Psalm 37. Psalm 37, look at verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Look at this, verse 24. Though he what? Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his what? With his hand. That's what's, what was taking place here in Peter's life. There was no doubt about that. The way Peter would strengthen the brethren, because he says, when out though converted, when you're turned around in this area, you're going to strengthen your brethren, was to feed, feed them the word of God. Remember, Jesus said three times, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my lamb, feed my sheep. I believe he said it three times because he denied the Lord three times. But he's just reassuring him, listen, Peter... If you love me, go do what I've called you to do. I don't know about you, but that's reassuring him. That's helping him get back to where he was supposed to be. And Peter at Pentecost lifted up Christ and he's preaching unashamed with holy boldness and not, not you know, uh, simply uh, that far from where he denied him. He preached there next to the temple. He denied the Lord uh, uh, at the palace. So not far in that proximity. And again, he was threatened that if he continued to speak in the name of Jesus, that he would simply be cast into prison. And be beaten. They threatened to kill them. And what did Peter say? We must obey God rather than who? Man. Now that's a big change. I don't know about you, but now Peter is strengthening the brethren. What a stand that he makes. Not only that, he writes two epistles. Two epistles. God used Peter to write two divine letters. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He says, be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He says... Whom resists steadfast in the what? Faith. Faith. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you to him. Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, I believe in these promises. That he who begun a good work will finish it. We say, well, what about these people over there that, can, that, that don't finish and they backslide? I don't, well, you know, you know what? They need to just get over it and realize and claim the promises of God because God wants us to be simply moving forward and upward, not uh, making excuses for our backslidden state. Oh, when we're down, we stay down. Then we get up again. The Bible says a just man falls seven times. He gets up again. And over here, we cast our cares upon him. Because the tempter is always at work trying to tempt us away from serving the Lord. Doing that which is right. He's always trying to hinder the work of God. He uses uh, 
non-Christians, carnal Christians to distort or disrupt or divide the work of God in a way where he attacks people, tempts them, tries to trap them, catch them away from the leading of God. Thank God for his grace, the God of all grace. Who have called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. There is suffering. In order for us to be perfect or complete or matured. To be established and strengthened and settled. I thank God for those promises that we can have in Christ. By the grace of God. You know the intercessional prayer of the Lord Jesus is what protects us. That prayer that he prayed is what protected uh, Peter. From you know just simply. uh, Uh, going off the rails completely. Got to remember, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our life. So the moment we have faith in Jesus Christ and we are saved and we're in the hand of God, God begins to, to, to work in us. He'll never let us go, even, even when we fail, even when we fall. Listen, I'll even submit to you, even when you backslide. He will chasten you. The hand of God will never leave you. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every one whom he receiveth. For he, you, we are sons, not bastards. So even, even in our backslidden state, the Lord is able to bring us back where we should be. And that's in the hand of God, leading us and guiding us like a great shepherd he is. I want you to see John 17 in your Bibles, please. The intercessional prayer of the Lord Jesus is what protects us. This prayer was not only for Peter, but listen, it was for his other disciples. And it was, only, it was not only for his other disciples, but did you know it was for us also? Look at verse, this prayer is found in John 17. Read a few verses. We'll go to John chapter 10, come back to John 17. But I want you to see verse 15. It says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from what? Evil. Evil. So you see that prayer there? He's praying to God the Father. Keep us, you know, uh, you know it's even found in the pattern prayer that the Lord teaches his disciples to pray. Deliver us from temptation. You know, deliver us from evil. This is the prayer that we should even pray. And God will deliver us from the temptation of, listen, denying Christ, not only in our word, but even in our actions. Because we still have a responsibility to respond. Peter wept bitterly. To have a blasé attitude of being just, yeah, it's okay, man, you know, it's all good. You know, Peter denied the Lord. I can too. Look, Peter still went well. Yeah, but Peter still had a responsibility to respond to his failures. And it was because of the prayer of God that would keep him humble. And this is why Peter also says, before he says in verse 7, in verse 6, that we ought to humble ourselves under the hand of the mighty God. Look at verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. You know, we're byproducts of the Great Commission. It's a miracle. That we're actually sitting here because someone one day heard the gospel, they got saved, then they passed it on to us. And then we hear the gospel and we pass it on to others. Somehow, God 
is answering the prayer of his son that through the Great Commission, when we're saved, listen, he keeps us protected in his hand and he'll lose no one. And he'll lose, none of them will be ever lost. I want you to see we are safe and secure because we have protection from both the Father and the Son. I want you to see John 10, look at verse 29. We can't forget that we are also in the Father's hand. We have the security of deity. Amen? Yes. In John chapter 10, look at verse 29. He says, My Father, which gave them me. Now this, this is just not only a promise of security of a believer, but this, there's so much in this. What do you mean, my Father, which gave them me? Who's them? Well, the believers. Because if you remember, we, we, we looked at this. In order for you to be a sheep, you have to believe on him. Okay? And, uh, and so them are the believers. He says, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I want you to just go back a bit to John chapter 6, just to labour a little bit more on this, which gave me them, my Father which gave me them. John chapter 6, look at verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. Again, this is assurance that would never be rejected by the Son. Verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should what? I... I I should lose zero, nothing, nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Look at verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so those that come to Christ by believing on him there's a promise they will have everlasting life and they'll be raised up at the last day you know the son and the father work together in complete harmony complete harmony the father uses means to to uh, simply draw us to the son he uses prophets he uses apostles he uses preachers he uses the gospel, he uses the Holy Spirit. He uses different means as light to draw us to the Son. He uses his Son. As he's lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so the Father uses different means. And those that believe on him belong to both the Father and the Son. And John Phillips said, there is nothing magnificent about, uh, there is something magnificent about the picture of the Lord wrapping his omnipotent hand around us and of the Father wrapping his own almighty hand around, around his. Amen? Yeah, there's, there's something beautiful about that picture. And that reminds me of Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. For you are dead, your life is hid with Christ in who? In God. So we belong both to the Father and to the Son. Go back to John 17. John 17, look at verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. 
and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, O Holy Father, keep through thy own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And we remember from past lessons we saw that Jesus knew in John chapter 6 from the beginning those who would not what? What is it? Doesn't that tell us about the foreknowledge of God? And God knows? <clears throat> now, I'm, I'm just going to just labor here just, just a little bit. The foreknowledge of God is not based whether God gave Judas faith or not. It's ridiculous to say that God foreknew Judas because, uh, you know, he didn't make him a believer. And so therefore he knew he wouldn't believe. No, God holds Judas fully responsible for not believing. Everybody that doesn't believe is responsible for rejecting the son. And <clears throat> we see that all the way, in, all, the, all, the, all through scripture. Every person has a responsibility to believe once they're approached with the truth. So therefore, God can justly judge people for the rejection of his son. There's no just judgment if people uh, do not willfully reject or willfully choose. There, there's no just judgment in that. And so there's, God is just and he will, he will judge every person according to their work, according to the measure of uh, a light that God has simply given to them. Now, brethren, listen. When we come to know Christ, it's because somewhere along the line, we have been given light about truth. Even that in itself is a miracle. How this is made manifest to us. How, how, how the common knowledge of the, you know, God is embedded in the heart of men. Because, you know, if someone ever stands and says, I don't believe in God, God already, uh, you know, just tackles that and says, well, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. Every day, creation speaks of a creator. And if someone wants to deny, if you want to call it in another form of uh, word higher power if someone wants to deny that altogether they, they become fools there's more respect for uh, an agnostic that said they give room that there could be than an atheist says that there isn't but even that knowledge of there is a God where'd it come from where'd it come from think about it because we uh, you know, basically attest to the fact that there is a God. Is that now a work? Like, wow. Well, no, the devils believe mm -hmm. that there is a God. They do. Is that a good work for believing that there's a God? Well, they'll do us well, but it's not enough. And so there are some things that we believe, that we're able to believe, even in our fallen state. If the devil can believe, who are so wicked in his state, that there's a God... 
He's not that depraved that he can't believe that there's a God. And so whether you follow that God or not, whether you have a heart to follow that God, uh, God or not, is up to you. God leaves it to you. How many times, you know, Jesus tried to gather Israel, Israel, the Jews, Jerusalem, gather them like a hen gathers her chooks. He tries to gather them through the prophets and they stone the prophets time and time again. And he now, the son comes and they stone him. He says, I've tried to gather you uh, like a hen gathers her chooks, but you will not. Did God fail? In gathering Israel, the Israelite, the God's elect and chosen people, did he fail? And so the majority of the nation of Israel don't want God. There's a remnant that always did, like there is a remnant amongst the, the Gentiles. True? God didn't fail. I guarantee you if Calvinism was true, everybody would be saved. Because God's heart was for everybody to come to him. And so if, God, if that's true, then God will give everybody the faith to come to him. And he would not fail. But you see that this is the issue. God has left the responsibility to man to either accept Christ or reject Christ. He came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him. To them. To who? To them gave you power to become the sons of God. Even to them that what? Believe on his name. Look at Luke chapter 12. I want you to see this. Look at verse 32. It says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the what? The kingdom. It's your father's good pleasure. You know, God wants people to come to Christ, to be born again, to see or enter into the kingdom more than... You know, anyone in the world, it's his good pleasure. He wants to see people come. He says, go out into the highways and hedges. Compel them to come in, but my house might be what? And God holds him responsible for not responding to the invitation. Many are called, but a few are chosen. Look at Psalm 125. You know, we are, the believers, are protected in the hand of God. We are secured in the almighty hand of God. Psalm 125, look at verse 1. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abide for how long? Forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people, From henceforth, even for how long? Come on, try to come. Try to come around God's sheep. Try. You think you can come and snatch or pluck or catch? Think again. Every single hair on your head is numbered. And if one of them falls off, it's by his permission. Even he, he, he knows that the birds in the sky and how much more value are you than they. You think you can be plucked out of God's hand or someone's going to... That's what he's talking about here. You know, we're not... We, 
we, we sometimes fall into the trap of those that want to prove, you know, you can lose your salvation by saying, oh, we can snatch ourselves out. Imagine that, trying to snatch, trying to catch your sna- yourself out, you know. You know, you're, you're the wolf out of God's hand. That's crazy. It's silly. It's ridiculous. It's, it's gone beyond the context of what Jesus is trying to give hope to his, his, his sheep that follow him. Listen, you're, you're safe. You're secure. And everyone that knows this hope that is in them, who would ever think they want to get out of God's hand? It's crazy, absurd for a believer to think that. As a matter of fact, we want to be hidden under the, his wing. We, we want to uh, go to the refuge and hide in him, in his name, and, and so forth. We, we want to run to him. We want to cast our burdens upon him. Every believer wants that. Even when we fall. It's absurd to think <clears throat> that someone wants to pluck themselves out of the hand of God. So I, I can jump out. I can say, God, I don't want it anymore. Well, you, don't have, you, don't, you didn't even know what you have to begin with. That's the truth. You haven't seen the value. You became a hog and a dog overnight. How, how did that happen? That you would trample over that which is, you know, of, of a great price. And that which is holy, you rendered? Come on. How can a believer do this? <clears throat> no, apostates can. Those that just uh, never fully were born again to begin with, they can. But not a true believer. A true believer is safe and secure in the hand of God, by the love of God, because of Christ. I want you to see this in Romans 8 and we're done. Look at this in Romans 8. We're protected by the both the mediator, the, the one who God sent into the world out of love for us. Romans 8, look at verse 33. Romans 8 verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the, to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, and we are counted as sheep to the, for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, what are you persuaded? Paul, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, that includes the fallen ones, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, include yourself, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You believe that? I do. We have security and safety in the protected hand of God. We can never, ever be snatched, taken. No. No. Those that are are those that are never saved to begin with. A lot of people say, can you lose your salvation? Uh, well, that's the, wrong, that's the wrong question. The question is, do you have salvation? 
do you have salvation? Because at the day you believe, God gives it to you. We looked at those different things based upon his person, his, his power, his promise, and now his protection. That this, these all, John chapter 10, is one of the greatest pillar passages for the security of the believers that the good shepherd will lose none of them. No true believer. So who's lost? Judas is lost. Because he's a devil. He's a fake and a phony and a hypocrite. And you know if you are. I know I'm not. I know I love the Lord. Do you fall? Yes. I do. And I, and I, and I weep and I cry. And, and right in the beginning when I first came to the Lord, man, man, that was, I'd, I'd fall a lot. Now there's a threshold. I thank God for that. I thank God for the work that he's done and continues to do and draw me closer to the heart of God in Christ Jesus and the promises that I have in him. Nothing, nothing can separate us from those things that he has promised us. We're, we're, we're forever secured in the hand of God 